So as we begin this new series, I want to begin with a question. Has there ever been a time in your life you have been thirsty? Like really, really, really thirsty. Um, Been working outside in the hot sun. um, Been working out, going for a walk or a hike, a run. And you get done and you just have to have something to drink. I think maybe um, no scene in any other movie in the history of the world um, is better representative of this idea than this cinematic masterpiece. I would imagine most of you have been thirsty and dying to have something to drink, to quench that thirst. And as we wrestle with this series, one of the questions I want to drive it is, is there a spiritual thirst within you? Psalmist David, as he is um, reciting this 63rd Psalm, he says, My body longs for you. My soul thirsts for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And I wonder spiritually if there is a thirst within your soul to be nourished and fed, and cleansed by Jesus. Water is really interesting. It is a transparent compound that is called H2O. It is colorless, odorless, basically tasteless, unless you live in West Texas. But it is essential for life. And it is used for cleaning, for cooking, um, for drinking. There are some essential uses for it. And it makes up much of our, our world. 
71% of the earth is made up of water. 63% of the human body is made up of water. 73% of your heart and brain are made up of water, and that explains a lot. Um, 83% of your lungs consist of water. And as we begin this series, there's kind of a theme I want us to see that begins early, early, early in the Bible and flows throughout. And it's this, through the water into new life. There's this constant pattern that we see unfolding as people walk through the water and into new life. And I think it's so important that we learn to talk about particularly baptism and water kind of in a new way. Um, for, for so long, we've been the, the people, the fellowship that know about it. And my hope is that we can kind of put it back in the box and unpack it again, but this time maybe with fresh eyes to look at it in a different way. Because for so many people, baptism is a sign, it's a symbol that points to what Jesus did and what he is doing in you. For others, it is a line that you must cross between heaven and hell. For others, it's a command. And I would just simply say it is all those things and more. It is so much bigger and more beautiful than we ever imagined. And the problem, I think, so many times is we've tried to simplify it and systematize it so much that when you systematize and you simplify the sacred, you rob it of its meaning and you strip it of its beauty. Because there is so much more that the Bible has to say about this idea of being baptized than just simply it's something you're supposed to do. And as I talk to so many people, I hear stories of, well, the reason I was baptized was basically a fear of hell. And what's interesting is very few, very seldom times do I hear people talk about, well, I was baptized because of this intense, insane love for Jesus and this passion to be like him. But understand this as we begin this series, baptism is never the goal. It has never been the goal. Transformation, life change has always been about what God is doing in this world. In fact, God is, is and always has been, transformation is and always has been God's redemptive purpose in the world. That God is changing the world. He's moving the world in a certain direction. And as we've talked over the last several weeks about this idea of moving eastward, away from the presence of God, God is trying to transform this world that's moving away from his presence constantly. In Romans, Paul says it like this, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Like what God is doing in this world, he is transforming, he is conforming people into the image of his son. That has always been his purpose. And in doing so, God is transforming his creation 
through His transformed creation. God is transforming and changing you so that you would be in this world transforming and changing the world around you. It is not a mistake that God has placed you where He has placed you. He has done it for a specific purpose and plan for you through His Spirit at work in your life to be transforming the world around you through His power. And so as we begin this series, that is my hope, that we would have new eyes for this beautiful picture that God gives us. Because as I've heard people talk about it, I've heard things like it is a sign, it is a symbol, it is a command, it is a line. It was something I had to do out of fear. But one way I've never really heard people talk about it is a gift. That baptism is a beautiful gift that points to some incredibly beautiful truths. So as we begin, we're going to begin with Jesus in Luke chapter 3. And in Luke chapter 3, there's a man named John. And he has come to prepare the way for Messiah, for Jesus to come into the world. And he has this message for the people that they need to repent, they need to turn from their sin and be baptized. And John is shouting this message from the rooftops and all these people are coming to Jesus, are coming to John to be baptized by him. And as they are coming to him, It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. This world that has been moving in the wrong direction, continually going east of Eden, a world formed in the image of Adam, a world formed in the image of Cain, a world formed in its own image of mankind, where the problem at the center of human history is this word hamartia, which means sin. But literally, it's the idea of missing the mark. It's as if you're shooting at a target and you keep missing. But, but not just slightly missing. Completely off course. Because the word repent is this idea of moving one direction and turning in the opposite direction and moving. You, you might think of it like this. In the beginning, in the garden, man and woman were given this specific task to steward God's good creation. And what they did is they began to steward God's good creation in an unhealthy way, to take it in the wrong direction. And what happens when we take the creation in the wrong direction that we are called to be stewards of, when we take it in the wrong direction, is it ultimately breaks down the relationship between God and man and man and man. Woman and woman, man and woman. Every time, understand this, your sin does not just affect you. It's not just about you and God. 
There's also this, this other relationship, this horizontal relationship that is always affected by our sin. And when we take creation in the direction it was not intended to go, it breaks down this relationship with God. It also breaks down this relationship with one another. And so John is shouting from the rooftops, repent, be baptized, come back, come be about God's kingdom. Come be about his life, come be about his world. Surrender yourself to him. And in this, your sins are forgiven. And so as he's baptizing, it says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. All the people are coming to be baptized. And here is Jesus coming to be baptized with all the people. There is this connection with people that is formed in Jesus' baptism. All these people who are in need of cleansing, all these people whose lives are full of sin, all of these people going in the wrong direction, all of these people worried about their own kingdom and building their own world, a world built in the image of Cain and a world built in the image of Adam. And Jesus is baptized along with them. And I've always wondered, okay, why is Jesus baptized? When John is there baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins. Because Jesus is talked about through Scripture as the perfect, holy one of God. The one who is without sin. But yet Isaiah brings up this, that he was counted among the lawless, that he was counted with the transgressors, that he was thrown in with everyone else. It's, it's this one, the perfect sinless one, who comes to, be, to John to be baptized. And why? Well, I think one, it connected him with the people that were in need of cleansing. He, he was joining himself with these people that were in need of saving. Maybe we could say it like this. Jesus didn't need baptism. But baptism needed Jesus. It needed Jesus to reclaim it. It needed Jesus to empower it. It needed Jesus to fill it. And to give us a new perspective. So Jesus is baptized along with all the people. The second thing that happens, it's a foreshadowing. I know this is kind of a big theological word, but it simply points to what is going to happen. To a bigger picture, a bigger part of the story. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. In Romans, Paul talks about it in this way, and he says, chapter 6, verse 3, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. 
For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For Jesus, this idea of being baptized, and for Paul, is this idea of entering into Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. For becoming like him. And what Jesus is doing in being buried and resurrected in the water is foreshadowing this event that will happen. And understand this. As he does this, he is not just committing himself to the water, he is also committing himself to the cross. He he is committing that if he is going to go through with this, if he is going to enter the water, he's also going to be found on a tree. And the two cannot be separated. He's foreshadowing this event. Ultimately, he's foreshadowing the death of death. As Paul says in Corinthians, that where, O death, is your sting? Where is your victory? But praise be to Jesus Christ who has given us the victory. This is the death of death. This is the end of death. Where Jesus enters into, and what it's foreshadowing, he enters into death. And death cannot hold him. What is death going to do with Jesus? can't do anything. Jesus, in his death, enters into death and fills death with himself so that in death, all we find is Christ. That you, when we are baptized, listen, when we are baptized, we are buried with him. We go down into the water and we die We die, and we are buried with him and then raised up into this new life. And Paul says, if we're going to have this death, we're going to share this death with him, then we're going to share this resurrection with him as well. But there is a bigger story happening here than just Jesus' baptism. Understand, the Bible has a grand narrative. This overarching story that is telling. And every single story that the Bible tells is always part of a bigger picture. Something that they want you to see that is contributing to what God is doing, moving the world, transforming the world, changing the world. There's a bigger story within this one. And so he's telling you the story of the baptism of Jesus But in doing so, he has something bigger in mind in Luke's account. Starting in verse 23 of chapter 3. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathot, the son of Levi. I'm just going to go ahead and stop there. One, because I can't pronounce half the names in here. But there are 72 generations that Luke is going to name through this genealogy. And as he comes towards the end, 
Verse 37, the Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mothalel, the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So he goes all the way back in his genealogy, all the way back to a guy named Adam. And if you remember, Adam began the story. Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, said you can eat of any tree in the garden except for this one tree. If you eat of this tree, you're going to die. Adam and Eve eat of the fruit because of Satan's temptation. They start to blame. They die. They find death is imminent. And so Luke, in his telling of this story, goes all the way back to Adam. And Adam, he calls the what? Son of God. 72 generations in all. But what Luke is doing here is so brilliant. I think he had help. Joshua chapter 3, starting in verse 14. When the people broke camp to cross the Jordan... And let me just stop real quick. Um, we, we've seen this journey of the people of Israel as sin has entered the world. And God is redeeming them. He's led them through the Red Sea. He's taken them to, right now, to the promised land. Where they've just spent the last 40 years wandering and searching in the desert. Waiting for this promised land that God told his people they were going to possess. Waiting, wondering, when is it going to come? And this point of the story, you find Joshua is the leader of Israel. Moses has just recently died, standing with all of the people right at the water's edge of the Jordan River, facing a city called Jericho. So when the people broke camp and crossed the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a great in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water was flowing down to the Sea of Araba, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off, so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. So you have this scene where the waters are at flood stage, the people are fixing to cross the river, and the water is cut off as the people enter the river. As they step their feet in the river with the Ark of the Covenant, the water stops, and it's rolled back. To a city. The city is called Adam. This is not an accident. The, the waters are rolled back to the city of Adam, the place where it all began. The word Adam in Hebrew is the word Adam. 
and it simply means mankind. It's not necessarily a personal name, it's this idea of humanity together. And it's pronounced Adam. The waters are rolled back to Adam, and they're standing at the edge of the river is a man named, in Hebrew, Yahshua, who's ready to cross over into the promised land with these chosen people who are following him. So fast forward back in the story to Jesus' baptism. And you have a Jewish rabbi whose name is Yeshua, standing at the edge of the water. History tells us it's the exact same place that Israel crossed the Jordan, entering into the promised land. And Yeshua enters the water with all the other people. And as he's come out, comes up out of the water, it says, Heaven is open. And the Spirit of God descends on him in bodily form as a dove. And there is this promise of divine presence. As God's Spirit falls on Jesus. And it's interesting that immediately after Jesus' baptism, he's led into the desert. And the very thing he committed to in the water, continuing on this path to the cross, is one of the very things Satan tempts him to turn away from. Listen, you don't have to go down this road. There's another way. Just bow down and worship me. You don't have to do it this way. But Jesus going into the water was committing to the cross. He was committing to the cross and creating this new promised land. A new Joshua leading the people. A new Moses who would go ahead and create this opportunity to move from life to death to life again. This journey they had been on, where death seemed the only way, where it seemed heaven was closed off, now heaven had opened up. And there is a voice that speaks over Jesus, this is my son, I love him, I am pleased with him. And the Spirit falls on Jesus. The Spirit that has been preparing the way from the very beginning. That has been breaking through the walls and barriers of sin that have been there since the start. The Spirit that through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is going to create a new world. Where there is a different way where death does not get the last word, where death does not win, where Paul can say, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where is your sting? 
this new Joshua stands under open heaven. And all of this points to God's redemptive purpose in the world. That God has been transforming His creation through His transformed creation from the start. He calls a man named Abraham and he says, go. Just go. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to show you. And these people that he keeps calling along the way as they walk through the water into new life are given this new purpose. That they would be part of God's redemptive plan in the world. Now this new Israel, the church that gathers in Jesus' name is a part of that history. And we have the most beautiful gift, this picture of walking through the water into new life that we receive as a gift from Jesus. That life, new life begins on the other side of the water. And it's not just a sign or a symbol. It's not just a line that you cross. It's just not something you do because you're afraid. It is something that transforms every single part of your life. As Tim talked about, not just Jesus as Savior, but Jesus as Lord. And we enter into those waters in the sin and death that covers us. And we come out on the other side, a new creation. Because baptism is not just about forgiving your past. It's also about the Spirit empowering your present. And God creating a new future. And when you submit your life to Him, when you say, Jesus, I love you, you are my Savior, you are my King, and we enter into those waters, on the other side there is a new water. Because these waters have done something within us. Not just to save us, but to transform us. And I, I feel like so for so long, the picture, the words that I've gotten from people is you need to be baptized because you need to be saved. Listen, the water does not save you. Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection saves you. The water clothes you in Him. The water washes away your past. The water empowers you with His Spirit. The water is a promise of a new land that you are entering into. A new promised land. A better land. Where God's kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. This beautiful gift is this point we point back to. That we say, look, right here. Right here is when I made the decision that I would submit my life to King Jesus. Right here is where I was buried and raised again. Right here is where my past was washed away. Right here is when I was given this promise of a new promised land, a better world. Right here was when I was given this divine calling to be a part of God's transformative creation.
Because God's plan was never simply for you to get baptized. That was never the end goal. What was the end goal is a new world, a better world, the kingdom of God. And when you submit your life to Him, when you're buried with Him and raised into a new life, that is the kingdom you are now a part of. The one that had to be rolled all the way back to Adam, the Son of God, to cover the sins that created this alternative world. This world that God never pictured, that God never dreamed. And here's the deal. Every single one of us have been a part of creating that world. And this beautiful gift of God gives you the opportunity to be a part of creating this new one. This one that will never pass away. This one that will never fail. This one where death has no sting. Father, today, may we see this beautiful gift, this gift of baptism, as we stand at the water's edge once again. We're reminded of our path to the water. But Father, not just our path to the water that led us there, but our path through the water into new life. Father, you call us, you encourage us, you bring us out of the grave and into new life. And Father, it is because of that hope we praise and we bow our knee to King Jesus and the kingdom of God that is being created on earth as it is in heaven through Jesus' name. Father, may we give all, may we surrender all to be a part of your new world. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' most precious and holy name. Amen.